Hello and welcome to the Upon Further Review podcast, brought to you by Field Street Baptist Church. On this podcast, your host, Cody Kitchen, sits across the table from Pastor John Hall as he reviews his Sunday sermon from the week before. Welcome to Upon Further Review podcast. I'm your host, Cody Kitchen, and joined with me is Dr. John Hall. Good afternoon, everyone. We are back from our one-week hiatus. We had Dr. Paige Patterson and that spoke that last Sunday, and so we are back. John spoke this Sunday, and so we are back in Luke, going verse by verse. And this week we are in Luke chapter 11, verse 14 through 28, with a sermon title, The Greatest Insult Ever Levied at Jesus. So, John... As you prepared this message, what are some things that came to mind? I appreciate the question each week. This particular week, in preparing for this message, it struck me that the ministry of Jesus was phenomenal, especially in light of the intense resistance that he faced frequently from the religious people. And I marvel, really and truly, even if I was not a follower of Jesus Christ and someone handed me a book and said, I want you to read about this man, Jesus, and give me your thoughts about him. I'm amazed at his skill in responding to his critics, Hmm. in responding to those who levied insults at him. I marvel at his wisdom and how he responded and the content of his responses, his enormous patience. Uh, with people and even with his detractors. His, his ministry was genuinely phenomenal. And when you read this episode in the Scripture, Luke eleven fourteen through 28, you even the, the 21st century reader can't help but just be aghast at right. what they said to him as he performed this unreal miracle in the exorcism of a man who had a mute demon or a demon that caused him to be mute, in yeah. other words. That's what hit me first. That's good. That's a lot. And, and this message on Sunday was, for me, another reminder of spiritual warfare and how real it is not only, obviously, in Jesus' time, but you made such a good point in it that we probably will never face Jesus on this side of... Or I'm sorry, face uh, Satan on this <laughs> side of, of heaven. And, uh, and so it was just a good reminder of the spiritual warfare that we have um, all around us. And I love how you presented the message and walked us through the accusation of Jesus, how he argued his position, and then you wrapped it up with how we can apply it. And so your first point was the accusation in verse 14 through 16. And you stated in your message that Jesus performs this miracle of this mute man, and now we see that he can speak. And your point that you made was that God made the miracle happen, not Satan. It was not under Satan's power, but God who knows all and is the most powerful being. You made that point. And to distinguish that Satan and God are not the same. Satan being the creature and God is God. And then we see from this passage that the enemies of Jesus start insulting him by saying in verse 15... But some of them said he cast out the demons by Beelzebul, 
the ruler of the demons. So they're basically accusing Jesus of being in quote-unquote cahoots with Satan. And as you stated on Sunday, the accusation is absolutely ridiculous. And so I feel like in our American culture, we have a watered-down meaning of miracle. And we maybe even kind of get confused of what a miracle is. And so my question is, in today's culture, do miracles still exist? And if so, can you give an example or what you think? And I know this could be a loaded question, but, you know, do miracles still exist today? The short answer is yes, of course they do. To develop the answer further, but what do they look like and where do they occur? And we've discussed this away from the microphones, <laughs> probably in greater detail than the audience of four would be interested in. Uh, one of the questions I think you have to ask when you talk about the context of a miracle is what really is the purpose of a miracle? And the purpose of a miracle should be defined by the Scripture. And it appears both in the Old Testament, but specifically and more so in the New Testament, that the purpose of a miracle was to authenticate an agent of God, whether that was Christ or the apostles or the disciples. And it, their working of a miracle displaying the power and glory of God authenticated the fact that they were from God, of God, or in Christ's case, God in physical form, mm. thus authenticating both his person and his work. And so I, I think the purpose of a miracle was to authenticate the agent of God, but also to display the glory and power of God. And to say, have I s seen and observed a miracle? Do I see and observe miracles on a regular basis? The answer to that question, if I'm being honest, is no. Um, so it's hard for me to answer that question. Have sure. I observed a miracle? I think there are medical miracles that still take place today that are, that take place that are in, indescribable, unexplainable. There's no medical reason for why something might happen in the positive direction, say a complete and total healing. Cool. Uh, but that doesn't happen all the time right. that I'm aware of. So I, I suppose the answer to that is, yes, of course, miracles happen, but what do those look like and where do they occur? Are more of those happening in the third world? I mean, we've discussed some of these things. Right. It's a, it, for me, it's a difficult answer to arrive at, and I know you've talked about, maybe I'll just give you the floor, let you talk about what we talked about in my office, that you'd come up on an accident scene. Anyway, you can take it from there. Yeah, I th you know, and as I told John, I don't necessarily say that this is or isn't a miracle, but we were kind of just discussing of when I lived in Pearsall and was on the volunteer fire department, came upon a wreck one day, and looking at the car, you question of, like, there's no way. As you approach this thing, there's no way this person is alive. And then you get there, and we have to cut them out, and they are, in fact, alive and almost barely even touched. And so there's those questions that I even was telling to John of, I'm not saying it was a miracle because we don't know, um, as John stated before that, you know, I don't know if God 
I don't know if they were even a believer. I, we don't know that. But just looking at those circumstances, you think, man, that has to be a miracle. This person wasn't even touched and his car was just obliterated. Um, so I don't know. I mean, you just there's things I think we can all maybe give credit to miracle. But I don't know if we will fully can say, yes, that was a miracle from God. True. I don't know. I don't know how to answer that. Maybe our listeners would have a better feel and take on that particular question. And the miracles that Christ performed in the gospel accounts as they are recorded serve very specific purposes, largely to put Mm -hmm. on display the glory and power of God at work through Christ, thus authenticating that it was true what he was saying about himself. So in that sense, I don't know that, I mean, I know it's going to yeah. be abrasive to people, um, but I cannot personally say, yeah, I'm, I'm observing miracles on a daily basis. That's just not true. That's good. And some of what we say are miracles are not miracles. That's exactly right. Absolutely. And that's that was the point of this question is to kind of get the listeners for for us to kind of just think about what because I think we say things in a Christian circle sometimes without thinking about it of the meaning of what we say. And I think this is one of them with miracles is, as you said, I think the purpose of miracles is for God to be exalted, for him to get the glory. And I think sometimes we say things are, man, that was a miracle when in reality we're not doing, I think, more damage into the word of miracle and the power of the miracle. And even in this story, the point of the question is looking at what Jesus did through this man Mm -hmm. and how people were in awe of him. Right. And I think, uh, you know, being that this coming Sunday is Mother's Day, Mm. in that vein, at the risk of offending all of our moms, (laughs) I know every mom thinks the birth of their child or children is a miracle. By definition, childbirth is not a miracle. Mm. Even the birth of Christ was not a miracle. Now, his conception was completely miraculous, totally supernatural, only a work of the divine. So I think, I mean, I understand what moms are saying. It's a marvel for sure, and there's nothing like giving birth to your child. And in that sense, it is wonderful and a wonder for sure. But miraculous, by strict definition of the word, I'm sorry. I don't mean to offend, (laughs) but it's not a miracle. I agree. And Cody told me to say that, by the way. I did. uh, Send your emails to him, please. (laughs) Yes, it is jerrym at fieldstreet.com. Yes, jerrym at (laughs) fieldstreet.com. So as we... Digress from that. Your second point was the argumentation, verse 17 through 22. And you stated that the argument had three points, the first one being that Jesus points out how illogical, irrational their accusation was. The second was that Jesus points out the charges against him, in fact, were self-incriminating because the Jews themselves were also casting out demons. So how did their works differ from Christ? And the third was that Jesus makes it clear to them that their accusations against him were really an admission of his power. And as you said in the beginning on that first question, I just love what 
what Christ does here and how he turns the table so perfectly, you know, to their, you know, put the ball, puts the ball in their court. And your point on all that was that Christ is the victor over evil. So my question is, knowing from this story, Christ making it clear that he has the power to rule over the enemy, what does it mean for the follower of Christ struggling to overcome sin and the enemy? The Bible is clear that we have two enemies, sin and uh, death. And Christ, by virtue of his death on the cross, and his resurrection secured the victory over both of those enemies, hmm. sin and death. And so we share in that victory by the grace of God. And how grateful should we be that we share in a victory that we could never win on our own. Not, we're, we're not even competitive. Hmm. But Christ uh, conquered the sin uh, sin and the grave, and on top of that, the enemy that we have. So the enemy we have, of course, is Satan, his minions, the evil world system. <laughs> um, and, and we're foolish if we think we don't have an enemy because we very much do, and we, spot, and we fight and engage in a spiritual warfare and battle, often in realms we don't see. Uh, and so... The good news is for the believer is Christ has conquered sin and death and the evil one and evil, and we share in that victory. And that is encouraging. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I don't think there's much to add on that. <laughs> I think that was such a good answer, and it's good enough. So let's move on <laughs> to our third point of the application Verse 23 through 28. And this point should get you riled up. And I know it did me on Sunday. And I just imagined a leader of an army or basically saying, you're either with us or you're the enemy. So pick a side. And again, I think you just did such a marvelous job of presenting. Jesus is telling us to choose a side. You're either with him or you're against him. There's no in-between. And I love that you ended the point with this commentator's statement that says, quote, what you have said is true as far as it goes. But Mary's blessedness does not consist simply in her relationship with me, but in the fact that she heard the word of God and kept it, which is, which is where true blessedness lies, end quote. So basically, we need to keep the truths and, more importantly, the power of God with us, and we will be blessed. So my question is simply, what are ways that we can keep the Word of God? Good question, and it's appropriate that we uh, kind of wrap it up with an application type of question. And, and the most obvious answer, it's not rocket science, uh, it's obedience. Hmm. Uh, one of the ways which we keep the Word of God is to obey the Word of God, to hear the Word of God, to read the Word of God, to do the Word of God, to practice right living as consistently as we can with God's help, showing kindness, displaying humility, uh, giving evidences of God's love in and through our hearts and our lives and actions. So I, I think 
you know, we, we keep as much as the, of the Word of God as we live. Hmm. Um, That's good. You know, how tragic it is to just know the Bible, you know, to know the content of Scripture, to know truth and not live it. And that really is the deal. And James in the New Testament brought that to bear. He, I mean, he's the one that's, you know, kind of brought it across the finish line in saying, you know, faith without works is dead. So one application of that would be biblical knowledge without living that knowledge is stupid. <laughs> uh, it's pointless. It's, it's futile to have a biblical encyclopedic knowledge of the Word of God and not live what you know. Hmm. And maybe most of us know more in the Bible than we're actually living. And so the goal <laughs> for myself and for all of us would be to live what we know as consistently as we can and should with this, the help of the Holy Spirit. Um, so I think those are important ways. And again, I can't imagine why any believer would not commit themselves to being a student of the Word of God and be not a hearer only, but be a doer of the Word as well. That's good. And I think the answer to this question also kind of runs in with the last question, the second question too, of, you know, not that it's a end-all be-all, but when we do keep the Word of God, and as you said, as we walk in that way, walk in obedience, um, I think sin becomes more when we sin, it's more convicting in our lives when we are walking in obedience. And, you know, I'm not saying or trying to say start walking in obedience and sin's going to get less in your life. I, I mean, <laughs> I wish. <laughs> right. But I think when we are struggling with sin and the temptation of sin and when we are walking in that, we even see in Jesus's ministry when he was tempted, what he did. And it was always go back to the Word of God, always follow on the truth, and always walk in that obedience. Mm -hmm. And so we know on this side of earth we won't be perfect, we won't be sinless, but I do believe that when we keep the Word of God, not, as you were saying, not just knowing the Word of God, but walk in that obedience, prayer, as we talked about a few episodes ago, um, whatever that is, I think when we are tempted and when we fall and when we sin, it's in our obedience to that, I think it becomes that relationship with Christ. It just becomes more prevalent to us in our sin in, as we ask for forgiveness. Um, and I do believe we can conquer said sins that we are struggling with. Um, again, that's not saying we'll be perfect in it, right? Um, but we do have an out. And so I love what you said, and I, I just I agree with that, that it's us keeping that obedience um, and knowing that it's not just us knowing the Word of God, but acting it out mm -hmm. and, and showing those to everyone around us. So, well, as we close, John, what are some of your final thoughts? I would like to say that there is no substitute for the encouragement and fostering of spiritual growth in the life of the believer like reading and thinking on the Bible. I'd also like to say to our listeners that you should brace yourself because the more intent and more serious you become in your effort to live a Christ-centered life, you're going to come up against headwinds. Mm. 
I wish I could tell all of our listeners that because you love Jesus and you want to live obediently to his commands and you have a heart for him, it's all it's going to be, as the late Dr. Adrian Rogers used to say, all honey and no bees. Mm. It just will not be like that. And there is nowhere in Scripture where we are promised that our commitment to Christ is going to somehow insulate us from the schemes of the enemy. And you should brace yourself because I think I think the enemy isn't too worried about nonchalant, lukewarm, half-in believers. Hmm. He's really more concerned about those who are taking pretty serious the, the disciples' life. Good. And I, I wish it was easier, and we need to do a better job of saying, when you come to Christ, when you give your life to Jesus, it's it's going to be the most incredible and wonderful thing you've ever done, the greatest decision you'll ever make. That's all true. Absolutely. But we also need to be saying, you need to strap up, hmm. put your seatbelt on, and prepare yourself for war. In the spiritual sense, not yeah. physical going out to do battle with someone, but um, I, I think we do people a great disservice in the church if we're not telling them that your life in Christ is worth it all, hmm. but it is not going to be easy. You're going to encounter difficulties, hardships, afflictions, trials, testing, temptation, hmm. and I... I I think the more serious you are about being a follower of Jesus, when you're more committed to that, it's going to the struggles become greater. Hmm. I think it. You, you just better prepare yourself. I think that's the most important thing I can say: is just strap up, get ready, because the the enemy, it, it, everything is on the line, and. He's going to come after you. He's going to come after your family. He's going to come after your thoughts. He's going to come after your attitude and hearts. He's he's just he's never going to let up. It's good. It, he's relentless. Um, however, he's defeated. There ends the good news. Hmm. And we have, as we talked about this morning in Rutman's Bible study, uh, we have a union with Christ. So we're no longer in union and in bondage to our life of sin before we met Christ and were and was saved by the grace of God in Christ, now we are at union with the Savior. So we, we have, you know, we're locked up and arm to arm, elbow to elbow with, with the, the Savior and the victor. But I think it's silly for any Christian to think, oh, man, I'm a, I follow Jesus. My life is just going to be easy, and the path is always going to be straight. No, find me a Christian that would say that with a right. with a straight face, uh, and and I'll tell you a Christian who's must have their head in the sand somewhere. But um, anyway, I think if if they were willing to to levy this at Christ and insult Him by saying what you're doing, you're doing by the power of Satan. Well, how much more should we expect that? we're going to be challenged too. So anyway. That's good. Yeah. I know these are John's last words, but I do think it's so important to also say that and this is why I think Christ even labors at, not in this verse, but that we're 
to be in fellowship is so important. And so this is a shameless plug that if you are not plugged into a church and are in the Cleburne area or close to Cleburne, we would love for you to join Field Street and not because we want numbers, but because we care about that, that group and that you're plugged in. And, yeah, great um, point, Cody. And, and every believer needs a church home, um, whether it's Field Street or wherever absolutely. the Lord may lead people. But you, and I think a time is coming where it's going to be even more important for people to be plugged into a local body of baptized believers who are all pulling on the same end of the rope together. We're in the same boat together. We're cheering for each other to experience um, the life of a of a committed follower of Christ. I just don't see how you can go it alone. And. The headwinds are blowing against Christianity. If you don't see that, you're not looking. And so even more important is going to be the local church because I think the agency of the local church in the world is God's current presence in this world through his people, through his That's church. Good. We're the, you know, there isn't a plan B. We're the plan. Yeah. And so uh, we, we have to lock arms together and, and understand we have an enemy and there's no way we can face evil on its own. We, we know with Christ, you know, as the scriptures say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Anyway, that's, that, I'm rambling at this no, point. Nobody wants to listen to all that. So yeah. anyway, that's uh, my final thoughts for the afternoon. Awesome. Great. And as always, we're going to transition into our That Stupid segment. So, John? Uh, so... Uh, the other morning, I was out running in the rain because that's what runners do. <laughs> Cody, turn your phone off, for goodness sake. <laughs> you lie. Uh, <laughs> so I'm out running in the rain, and I'm, I'm in this particular neighborhood, and evidently uh, they're not concerned about their water bill because it's pouring down rain, and their sprinklers are running in the front yard. And I'm not talking about one or two sprinklers. It was a massive yard, <laughs> sprinklers going full blast, and it's pouring down rain. Now, all I can think about was I can't wait until our next podcast because that has to be that's the stupid segment. What do you think of that, Cody? That's stupid. People water in their yard during the rain. That's stupid, especially that we're in a drought. Especially that we're in a drought. That's stupid. That's so, stupid. people, if you have your sprinklers on automatic and you know it's going to rain, Turn it off. Come on, people. <laughs> well, guys, we are so thankful that you join us every week when we have a podcast. And, um, as always, we say, make Christ known by what you say and how you live. Have a great week. Thank you. Thank you all for listening. Be sure to subscribe to Upon Further Review so you never miss an episode. If you have any questions, please be sure to reach out to us at info at Thanks for tuning in.